Wow. <laughs> the truth of the gospel, no matter how it's delivered, whether it's in hip-hop or in symphonic, you know, like the Messiah, it touches our hearts because it's the message from God. It's anointed by God. It's the truth of God. Praise the Lord. Well, I just want to share briefly with you, or at least comparatively briefly to what we usually share, something that was on my heart earlier, and as I'm listening to uh, the songs, which I had, did not have any say in their choosing, how well it fit in with what God had put in my heart. And then a while ago, we chose these scriptures to read, and uh, I hadn't, didn't, really didn't know what I was going to minister on, uh, and I really hadn't thought about the connection until uh, I heard, uh, heard them read. Um, but I'm going to read to you again some of the scripture that, that was read by Kurt. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the music that we can sing together and enjoy and rejoice in. Christmas music that stirs up memories and, and uh, of good times together with family and maybe even in church, of Christmas caroling and whatever the memories may be. We're grateful, Father, for those songs, especially the ones we sang tonight, which have as their basis the gospel itself. And so we thank you, Father, for that. And now we turn to your word because it's from your word that we know what you have done for us. It's from your word that we know who you are. It's from your word that we know the future that you've laid before us. It's from your word that the very life and power and love of God is transmitted to us. And we pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit to take the word right now and to touch our hearts again. Not just with uh, the meaning of Christmas, but with something that will encourage us and challenge us to go forth from here to fulfill the call that you have upon our lives. And we thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ray quoted from Isaiah. We read a couple of weeks ago prophecy from Isaiah where it talks about uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there are prophecies, for those of you who don't know. And uh, most of them have to do with the foretelling of the coming of a Messiah. Messiah is the, is the Jewish word, Meshua, which means a savior or, or a redeemer. And the Jews were looking forward to that. So in the time when Christ was born, they were looking for a, a deliverer. They were looking for a savior. They anticipated that and were hoping that it was going to be uh, somebody that would be born that would deliver them from the bondage of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was controlling them. It controlled their everyday affairs. Everywhere they went, they saw Roman soldiers that were constantly constant reminders that they weren't free, and although they were allowed to worship in their temple, even that was governed to some extent. There were tremendous taxes collected by the Roman government to support Caesar and to support their operations, and although they, were, they had some free hand, there was a constant reminder that they were in bondage, that they were being held captive. And all the, most of these prophecies in the Old Testament talked about a deliverer coming who was going to set them free, and all they could think about was the freedom from the political bondage and the military bondage that they were living in, and they were ignorant, most of them were ignorant to a far greater bondage that was holding them that was a bondage that would not just hold their physical bodies and restrict their physical uh, movements, but a bondage that would literally separate them from God and doom them to an eternity separated from God, a bondage to sin that they thought they could get out of but didn't realize they couldn't until they really tried. And because the 
the, the scriptures in Isaiah that talk about this Messiah suffering for them in Isaiah 53, it's not something that they really grasped or understood. They skipped over that and they were looking for a different Messiah that was coming. But the point is they were expecting someone. They were expecting someone to come. And, and if there's going to be a deliverer, he's going to be somebody that's big and strong and powerful and obvious. And so that's who they were looking for. But if you've walked with God for very long, you've discovered that God very rarely does things the way you're expecting him to do. He does them his own way because he's God. And he does them his own way. And again, it's very often not the way that you and I would think and not the way that in many ways to us would make sense. But what God chose to do was to send this deliverer, the deliverer of mankind, not from the bondage of Rome, but from the bondage of sin, the bondage of Satan, the bondage of, of, of things that would hold you and restrict you from enjoying life that came as a result of the fall way back in the garden. That's where the promise was first made because God promised that he would send a deliverer. And because God sends this deliverer, he doesn't send him in the form that they expected him. He does the amazing thing. There's a little baby born. A little baby born not in a palace, not to a king that they could see, not to Herod, not to Caesar, not to the, 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 the high priest of the temple, not to any of that at all, but to a young teenage girl, betrothed to a young teenage boy. And not in a palace, but in a stable, in a manger, which is a feeding trough for horses and for mules, for donkeys. And his bed was made of straw. And the visitors that honored him that night were shepherds out of the field, and then eventually some wealthy wise men came, some astronomers we call magi came, and they honored him and they worshipped him. And this is what we celebrate on Christmas. But Christmas, why do we still celebrate it over 2,000 years later? Why do we still remember it? And I know it's gotten perverted and people celebrate it for all kinds of reasons, but we're here tonight, at least to some degree, because somewhere down in our heart we have a desire to celebrate what the real meaning of Christmas is. There's something in our hearts that wants to have some meaning that's beyond just buying presents and unwrapping them and eating food tomorrow or tonight or whenever you do and having it over with. There's something we're looking for that has a meaning to it that touches us in our hearts and goes beyond December 25th and, and the bills when they come in on the 26th and the 27th and thereafter. And we say, oh my goodness, boy, what did I do this year? Something that's meaningful to us. Why over 2,000 years does Christmas still get this attention? Well, the most obvious reason, and we've been talking about that on Sunday mornings, is that the true meaning of Christmas, of what happened then, is that God gave a gift to us. We give gifts to one another and share gifts with one another over Christmas time somewhere in the line, somewhere in the process of this, but the real meaning of Christmas and what's behind it is that God gave a gift to us. And he didn't go to Macy's or, you know, Target or somewhere, and he didn't go online to Amazon.com and say, you know, uh, let's see, what's the, what am I going to give him? He looked at us and he knew instinctively what we needed. And whatever it is we needed, whatever the cost was, he was more than willing to pay it. It's amazing in Isaiah's prophecy 
about the Messiah that was coming, and it talks in this case about his crucifixion and what he was going to have to go through, but that was in the mind of God when that little baby was born in the manger. You know, when our children are born, we all have dreams for them. They don't always turn out the dreams that we had for them, but you rarely have a parent that looks at this little baby and says, wow, my purpose for this child is to die. But that was God's purpose for his son. The little baby in the manger, his purpose was to grow up and to die on a rugged, splinter-filled Roman cross. And God looked at him. In the heart of God, he was willing to pay because that's why he sent his son to begin with, was to pay that price. In Isaiah 53, when it talks about the crucifixion, one of the strangest verses in there that's hard for a parent to understand, but it's encapsulated in the heart of God, the love of God. It says it, prove, it pleased the Father to bruise him. Wow! God's not some sadist. He's not mean and wicked. wicked. This is the heart of the Father. That it says the dearly beloved Son of God. And several times in the, in the Gospels, God speaks from heaven and says, my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But in the heart of God, it says, it pleased Him to bruise His Son. In Hebrews chapter 12, talking about the Son, it says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What would motivate a father to purposefully, not under any obligation, as an act of his free will, to bruise and beat his son through the agency of the Roman soldiers? It says in Isaiah, his his visage was marred beyond recognition as a human. What would motivate a father to do that? What would motivate that son facing the horror of that cross and the agony of it that he had to pray three times and reconsecrate himself to do? What would motivate him to do that? And then it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, the Bible answers that question because the joy set before him that motivated him to endure the cross. And the the deposit in the father's heart that motivated him to bruise his son was his unfathomable love for you and for me. And so God chose to send his son and have him born as a little baby in a manger. But he did it in a way differently than it's ever been done before or ever been done since. Because the prophecy in the, in the Old Testament is that God would take a virgin and God would birth his son through a woman who never knew a man up until that time. And that was for two reasons. First of all, to show it was a supernatural birth. It was not something man did that then God chose to honor. Because God does not honor what we do. God will not take your best efforts and put his blessing on them. That's profaning our efforts. But God will initiate what he wants to do. And then we choose to participate in it. And that's what happened here. The scriptures were read out of, out of uh, Luke chapter 1. 
And we've, we've been talking about in the Old Testament where the prophecy was, and that God would come and be dwell among men. Emmanuel, God among us, God in us. But God shows a virgin. And in Luke's rendering of this, an angel appears to her and says, you are highly favored among men, among men by God. God has favored you. And God has chosen to conceive in you His Son, who will be called great. He will be called King of kings and Lord of lords. He will be great among men, for He is the one that is to be born from you, is to be called the Son of God. And she says, well, how can this be, since I've not known a man? It's a natural question. I mean, first of all, to have an angel just appear to you and then tell you what God's plan for your life is. You're highly favored among God. And here's what God's chosen to do with you. All those prophecies about the Messiah that you've heard about, you're the one He's going to use. And He's going to cause His Son to be born through you. And she does what we would always do. Our minds kicks in and say, well, how can that be? We forget it's God saying these things. In fact, he goes on to say, with God, there's nothing impossible. When God says he's going to do something, don't have to figure out how. God's already got that under control. But she was just like us. Well, how can this be? This doesn't make sense. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm not qualified? I, I'm not married. I don't have rela- I've never had a relationship with a man. I don't understand how this can be. And the angel says, that's okay. God's figured all this out. That's a loose translation. He says, for the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, that means engulf you, and he will conceive in you his son. And once she's dawned on her, what's been said to her, she has a choice to make. And her choice is, behold, your handservant, your maidservant of the Lord, be it done unto me, according to his will. And that's the story that we remember and celebrate over 2,000 years ago now. But it's not just an historical story. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And yes, he's reigning today, he's alive today. But that story's about much more than just his birth, his conception and his birth in Bethlehem because it has a relevance to you and me. We've been talking about on Sunday mornings how God, in sending Christ, did it in a way that then could become a prototype, a model for what he wanted to do in your life and my life. So we've seen in Philippians that the Son, who then became Jesus, set aside all the attributes that he had as the second person of the Godhead. He set aside his glory, his majesty. He set aside his innate power. He set aside his perception of things and his understanding of everything from before the world was created till the end of the world. He knew all of those things all at once. He set all of that aside to become a baby born out of this woman and this man and grew up to become a young man. And at the appointed time, 
when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God came down from heaven and filled him with his presence. And at that point, he was empowered to go out and fulfill his destiny. He did it that way instead of just stepping out of heaven, stepping down on Mount Jerusalem and Mount Zion and, and declaiming, preparing as the Savior because if that way, all we would do is we would worship him from afar. We would make stained glass windows of him and paintings of him and say, what a mighty God he is, but how can that affect me? What difference can that make in my life? But that's what religion has done with him. But that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches he became a man like you and me. Yes, God, but all man also. It says he, was, he dealt with the, with the struggle with the feelings and infirmities that you and I struggle with, yet he didn't sin. He didn't give in to them. He knows what it was like, knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to get frustrated. He got frustrated with his own staff. He said, how long do I have to put up with you? Oh, ye of little faith. Why? Because he came to offer you and me the same opportunity. And most of us in this room tonight have experienced that. Because there came a time, it wasn't an angel that came to you, but it was the word of God came to you and said to you, I've found favor with you. I've chosen you. You didn't choose me. You may think you found me, but the only reason you found me is I brought people to you and I brought programs to you, and I brought music to you, I brought to you what was necessary for you to think you found me. But I chose you. You're favored by God. And here's what I've chosen you to do. I've chosen because I want to conceive in you my son. I want to conceive in you my nature. And our reaction is, how could that be? God, don't you know me? Don't you know what I'm like? Don't you know my weaknesses? Don't you know what I did last? Don't you know what I've done my whole life? How can that be? How can God come and live in me? I'm just a human being. I'm weak. I've got struggles in life. And yet God's chosen to do that. In you and in me. How can that be? The same way that it happened over 2,000 years ago in the womb of that young teenage girl. The angel said the answer is, the power of the Most High shall come upon you and the Holy Spirit shall engulf you. He shall fill you with the seed, the life of God. And the one who shall be conceived in you shall be the Son of God. The marvel, the inconceivable to man's mind of the mind of God, of what he would do, is that God would not just come and send his son to the cross to save us so we don't have to go to hell. If that's all he ever did, we would all, should all be eternally grateful. But God thinks so much higher than we do, so much bigger than we do. God said, I don't want to just save them so they don't have to go to hell. I want them for my own. And so I want them to become not just human beings that can get into heaven, 
but I want them to become sons and daughters, my son and my daughter. So here's what I must do. I'll pay for their sins because they have to be paid for before I can dwell in them because I can only dwell in a holy vessel. I can only dwell in a holy temple because I'm a holy God. And so my son is going to go to that cross and he's going to bear their sins and their punishment for their rebellion and their sin and everything they've ever said wrong, everything they've ever thought wrong, everything they've ever done wrong. I'm going to pay for it before they were ever born. Knowing ahead of time what they were going to be. Knowing ahead of time that many of them are still going to reject me, but I'm going to pay for it anyway. And once they accept my son, and now they've received that righteousness, I'm going to send my spirit to dwell in them. He's going to overshadow them. And he's going to conceive in them a child of God, a son of God. See, Jesus walked on the earth as a human being in whom the life of God was born as a son of God. And the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you become a son or a daughter of the living God. The term that Jesus uses in John chapter 3 is you must be born again. And that term is so often just used and often misused as kind of a uh, it becomes almost a cliche nowadays that we don't think about what it means. It means two things. You must be born a second time. Comes out of a statement that Nicodemus makes to him and he encountered him in the nighttime and he, he talks about you must be from God because nobody else could do the things you do. And Jesus is so wonderful. He gets right to the heart of the man. He doesn't debate things with him. He says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus struggles with this because he says, how, how can that be? Kind of like Mary. How, how can that be? In his question, how can, how can I, I mean, I'm in probably in my 70s or 80s, how can I climb again into my mother's womb? I just, I can't. And Jesus is saying to him, I'm not talking about that kind of birth. He says, the wind blows where it blows and you can't see it, but you can tell where it's been. You can see the results. In the same way, the Spirit comes and you can't see Him, but you can tell when He's been there. And He's trying to tell Him, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And so He says, you must be born. There must be another birth that takes place other than the birth of your body. There must be a birth on the inside of your spirit man. That old man has to die and a new man has to be born in there. There's another meaning of that word in Greek, born again. Because the second meaning, and they both apply here, is from above. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, in order to enter the kingdom of God, the family of God, you must be born a second time, a spiritual birth, and that birth has got to come from above. It's got to come from above. It says in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, he came unto his own, that's the Jews, and they didn't recognize him. But to those that received him, he gave the right to become sons of God. Born not of the flesh, that's not of our effort, not of our works, not of the will of man, the way your flesh was born of the will of your parents, but born of, and that word in Greek is out of, God. 
So the miracle of Christmas is not just that God's son was born 2,000 years ago as a baby and grew up to be our savior. But the other part of that miracle, the part of that miracle that's alive today, that changes lives today, that takes people whose lives are a disaster, a wreck, who've made a mess of their lives, maybe hooked on drugs or in some kind of bondage. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a mess they've made of their lives. Maybe you haven't made a mess of your life. Maybe you've made a great success of your life. And you can be proud of what you've done. But that pride will separate you from God. Because what gets you into heaven isn't what you've done. What gets you into heaven is what you let God do for you. And the miracle of Christmas, the live miracle tonight in 2014, Christmas of 2014, is that just what God did 2,000 years ago, God wants to do or has done in your life. But there's a final step to this. This is what God announced through his messenger. This is what God wants to do. This is God's purpose for your life, Mary. God wants to conceive in you the very life of God, to grow up as his son in you. But she still has to choose her response to that. And aren't you glad she chose the response she did? What if she hadn't? What if she said, I don't understand this, this is too uncomfortable, it's going to make me awkward in society because I'm going to walk around pregnant and I'm not married to that guy yet. Don't you know how they're going to look at me? Don't you know what people are going to think of me? Don't you know I may get rejected by my family? Don't you know? She could have looked at all the costs that her mind could instantly imagine and say, it's not worth it, but where would you and I be today? Where would we be today? We don't realize that our choices affect the future of other people. So as God offers to us to birth in us His Son, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with Him? Is He going to stay as this embryo within us that, oh yeah, I'm born again, I received Christ, yes, I did that, oh, I don't remember, years ago. And I come to church and I do it, I read my Bible, I do what I'm supposed to do. Are we going to hold Him within or are we going to say to God, Behold, the servant of the Lord. Let him be in me. Let him be in me and through me, according to your will. And I suggest to you that just as our lives, our eternal lives, hung in the decision that that young teenage girl made over 2,000 years ago, I suggest to you that there are unknown people to us out there in the world, that what we choose to do with the one who's been born in us, the choice we make to whether to allow him to become all he wants to be in us, will determine what God can able to do with untold numbers that are out there in this darkness of this night tonight. And so that's the 
other side of Christmas to us. It's something we receive from him. But Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. And that's the choice we have to make. To receive, and as we do that, we enjoy the fullness of who he wants to be in you. And I'll close with this scripture. It's the one I prayed for years over me, over my family, and now over you. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that God would strengthen them by his spirit with might in their inner man, so that Christ may be able to live in them and through them by faith that being rooted and grounded in God's love for us, we may come to know as we let him live in us the breadth and length and height and depth and to know by experience the love of Christ that passes understanding so that we may be filled with all of his And about that point, our mind begins to freak out and say, how can that be? It says, for God is able. God is able. That was the Gabriel's answers to Mary. But how can this be? But God is able. God is able to do this. God is able to birth in you, conceive in you, when you've never known a man. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you and I can think or ask according to the power that has already been conceived in us by the Holy Spirit. So this is a time of receiving again and celebrating the gift that God has birthed in us of His life, His Son, His Spirit. But it's also a time to begin to accept the responsibility for that gift, to begin to allow Him to work in us and through us according to his will. All of us have received presents undoubtedly from Christmas's past. We don't even know where they are anymore. Some of them were broken. Some of them we looked at and said, I'll never wear that. And we put them in the bottom of the closet somewhere or in the garage somewhere. And those are experiences that are gone. But there are some things that have been given to you and maybe they weren't even things Maybe they were a child coming home unexpectedly. Maybe it was a telephone call from a lost relative. Something that you still treasure in your heart. It still has meaning to you. And so the real meaning of this Christmas that I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us is as we've received Him, experiencing Him in the fullness, let us also be willing to allow Him through the power of the Holy Spirit to do His will in us for us, and through us. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm aware that there may be people in here tonight, and I'm not thinking of anybody or looking at anybody. But I could not share a message like this without also giving an opportunity to anyone here tonight that has never received this gift of God's Son into their life. If you're here tonight and that's you, the good news that I have for you is that God loves you so much that He already paid for your sins. 
He already paid for your everything that you've ever done wrong or thought wrong. He already paid for it so that it would not keep you from him eternally. But you have to receive that gift just as you have to receive gifts tomorrow. The gift's been given, but you have to receive it. And you do it as an act of faith. It's not because you feel it. It's not because you understand it. It's just an act of your will saying, I want to receive the gift of God's Son, that I may be born again, that I may may become no in my heart, that I am a child of God and belong to Him. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if that's you tonight, I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to have to come forward. If that's you tonight, I just want to pray for you. And just If that's you, just ask you to raise your hand where you are. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. Here's what I want to do. I want everybody to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me so much. I confess to you that I've not done everything right, that I've done things that don't please you. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Cleanse me from my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life and I put it into your hands to be my Lord. Thank you for loving me this much. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer tonight for the first time and you meant it as best you can, then what I talked about tonight is yours. It's just between you and God. But somewhere you need to tell somebody you did that. Somewhere you need to tell somebody that you've done that. And by doing that, you seal that gift in yourself. Amen.